from a secret location in room 100 of 540 Jack Gibbs Boulevard, this is Craft. I'm your host, Doug Dangler. Author John Scalzi is a resident of Ohio and will be a featured guest at the 2016 Ohioana Book Festival on Saturday, April 23rd. His New York Times bestseller, Red Shirts, won the Hugo Award for Best Novel. In addition to science fiction, he writes nonfiction on subjects ranging from personal finance to astronomy to film. He has also written, You're not fooling anyone when you take your laptop to a coffee shop, Scalzi on Writing, which gives practical advice for making a living writing. He was the recipient of the 2016 Governor's Award for Arts in Ohio. And perhaps most tellingly, his blog, Whatever, is the only one I know of that can be accessed merely by typing its one-word title into a Google search. So welcome to Craft, John Scalzi. Thank you. It's good to be here. Well, so one of the challenges in talking with a writer as prolific as you are, and one who's been translated into 20-plus languages, is figuring out what your most recent work is, because I think the most recent ones aren't the ones that are coming up to the top of the Amazon search, because that's in German. Uh, (laughs) So, uh, unless you're now writing in German, I think your most recent uh, book is Lock-In, a novel of the near future, correct? That is my second most recent. My most recent is The End of All Things, which is the sixth book in the Old Man's Worst series. Tell me about some of these uh, new novels, including some of them that are uh, just, I think, either on the cusp of coming out or have just recently come out. So what are you writing about these days? Well, right now I'm working on two uh, new projects. I recently signed a multi-book deal with four books, uh, which uh, on one hand is very nice because it's uh, 13 books over 10 years, so at least I know what I'm going to be doing for the next decade. Um, but the other side of that is it's 13 books over 10 years, and that's a lot of writing. Right. Uh, the, two, the two I'm working on right now, uh, one is a YA book, and the other one is a new space opera book. And space opera being, of course, um, you know, aliens, planets, lasers, explosions, all the stuff that makes science fiction. Okay. So is uh, is this your first YA book? Uh, I don't recall seeing that in uh, the collection before. This seems like something new. It is It is new. I've been wanting to write uh, young adult uh, work for a while now um, because I think it's an exciting field and I think it's fun uh, to you know, try one's hand at that. I wrote a book in the Old Man's Wars uh, series of books that was targeted for uh, teens and middle grade students called Zoe's Tale, but it wasn't marketed as YA and it really wasn't uh, positioned as such. Um, so th- this is going to be uh, something new and it's kind of interesting. And, and one of the things that I really believe that one should do um, as a writer is that you should always be trying new things and you should always be pushing yourself. And I think on the flip side of that, uh, one of the things that people do with uh, whenever they go from one type of writing to another, is they sort of blithely assume that because they've written like, uh, science fiction, that they'll they be easily be able to go into YA, or because they've written uh, a Western, they might be able to write a romance or whatever. Um, and my feeling about that is, um, if you do that, you're setting yourself up for failure. So part of what I'm doing, in addition to writing this, this book, um, is making sure that uh, one, I know the market that I'm getting into, uh, and B, uh, the people I know and trust who uh, read and love YA, I'm going to be giving them my book before I send it into my editor and saying, here it is, tell me what I'm doing wrong. 
So when you research, you know, a genre like YA and young adult, what are the hallmarks that you notice? What are the things that have started to guide your thinking about that? There are two things that are going on. One is who is your audience in terms of the end reader, which are the you know, which are the teenagers and the uh, other folks that you're writing for. But the other thing is what is going on in the marketplace, which in YA right now, what is selling, um, what is not selling, and the question is, if it's not selling, is it not selling because it's already passed, or is that just a hole in the market that has not been filled? Um, no matter what you're writing, if you're writing in kind of a commercial vein, which is what I do, um, the simple fact of the matter is if you are trying to catch a, a, uh, catch a ride on the latest craze, you're already late because it's going to be a year and a half uh, to two years before your book actually gets out into to the bookstores. Um, so what you have to do is you have to be looking in terms of where do you think things are going next. And so with anything, you're just doing your basic sort of market research. This is one of the things that I'm very uh, clear about when people ask me about writing um, is that if you're writing books, um, not only are you practicing an art and a craft, um, telling stories and making good characters and, and doing all of that, um, but you're also running a small business. And part of running a small business is making sure you understand um, the landscape of the business that you're doing where the market is now, where the market's going, uh, what has worked and what hasn't worked, um, who, you are, uh, who you are writing for, not just in terms of uh, readers, but in terms of the people who would acquire your work and so on and so forth. Um, and it always kind of blows people away. They're like, wow, that's a lot of stuff I never really considered. But again, um, if you are writing commercially, um, then you are running a business. And if you're running a business, um, just like anywhere else, you wouldn't put a uh, a restaurant into a city without understanding what other restaurants are there, what's popular and what's not, what what are people wanting. Um, just in the same sort of way, uh, you have to do that with writing. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> how often when you give that advice, you said people go, wow, that's a lot to imagine. How often do they say... Uh, but I have a you know something special inside of me that I must write for me, uh, and and sort of what's your reaction to that? Um, because I can see that being a lot of the kind of reaction you might get. Well, actually, I think writing for yourself is is, is a really positive first step. Um, one thing that I think is absolutely important for people to do um, is to write something that they would want to read, because we are all our first uh, readers. If, we are, if I'm sitting there and I'm writing something and I'm bored with what I'm writing, um, how bored is the person who's going to be reading it later going to be? They're going to be much more bored than I am because I like myself a lot. Um, and so I don't think there's the, the problem of writing for yourself or writing that story that you have inside of you. I think that's great. But the thing that you need to be aware of is once you've done that, then you start looking for where can I sell this? How is how is this going to fit into the market? Is it something that you can put out right now, or is it something that maybe should wait? Meantime, uh, um, there are some other questions to ask. Like, for example, uh, when I started writing science fiction, one of the things that I went and did was I looked at, I went to the bookstore and I looked at the shelves and I was like, what's here and what's not? And when I looked and I decided that I was going to write a space opera, a military science fiction sort of space opera vein of thing. Um, then what I made sure is what I wrote in that particular 
uh, subgenre of science fiction was something that would interest me as a reader as well. So you can do it uh, both ways. You can write something that's really important to you or that you've always wanted to write and then find a market for it, or you can go and look at what the market is and go, is that something that I can write something that would interest me in? Um, either way that you do it, you're, n- you're not going to go wrong. Okay. Now, your book, Red Shirts, uh, is... Uh talks a lot about, uh, is set on, I don't want to give anything away for those who are not familiar with it, but let's say that um, when you're talking about the market research you did, you clearly brought a love of science fiction and maybe one particular science fiction uh, television show to this and then sort of extrapolated beyond that and uh, began filling in some of the ideas of what that would life might be like uh, within that universe. So as you've created that universe and Red Shirts has gone on to, I think, three other books um, past that, how has that uh, changed for you, the experience of writing it? How, do you write it more from the sense of, um, I want to say more things about uh, the the sort of the business of science fiction and the business of science fiction television shows, or are you going off uh, in another direction? What feeds your interest in that uh, series? Well, for me, there's a couple things going on. I mean, right now I have a number of uh, properties that are under development in, uh, in L.A. for TV and for film, right? Um, so this is a, this is a field um, where I have some personal experience. Prior to this, I was a film critic, and uh, so I watched a lot of film, and I did a lot of stuff relating to that. Um, so this is something that's always been kind of an interest to me, right? And... Uh, Part of it is also, you know, quite frankly, uh, when you're sitting there telling a story, and particularly in science fiction, people have become so savvy in, in the tropes and in the uh, techniques of science fiction and fantasy um, that a lot of times the stuff that you would have been able to get away with writing a science fiction story or setting up the world of a science fiction story, um, you can't get away with anymore. It's just something that people are too familiar with. Um, and that sort of meta-textual understanding of science fiction in and of itself um, is something that is genuinely uh, changing the course of, of the genre. I mean, I addressed it explicitly in Red Shirts in the sense of playing with it, saying everybody here, it's not a spoiler to say, you know, Red Shirts uh, plays very specifically with Star Trek. Um, it's, not, uh, it's not something, um, it's not a, a thing where I can go, um, oh, let's pretend that Star Trek doesn't exist, or that this idea of the red shirts, the people who are minor characters and who are doomed because uh, somebody has to die and it's not going to be somebody whose name is listed in the front credit. Um, it's not that people don't know these things. And so you can't just pretend that they don't exist anymore. Um, and so why not, in this particular case, run right head on into them and make people look at the consequences of a universe where these things happen and how the people inside that universe will respond to it. In a larger sense, um, every time I write a science fiction book now, um, I have to be aware of the fact that my readers aren't stupid, my readers aren't unsophisticated, my readers are as up-to-date, if not more so, on the latest trends in science fiction and fantasy uh, as I am. And that being the case, um, it would be a disservice, and it would actually be insulting uh, to 
pretend that they don't know what they know. Um, and so, yeah, that absolutely informs um, everything uh, that I write moving forward. Sometimes it's, you know, small things, like I will have characters, not just in Richard, but in other books, make reference to, um, you know, current uh, tropes or, or films or books in science fiction, that they understand that they're there and that they're part of and kind of a shared past. Um, and in other places, you know, um, you know, you can make sort of sly allusions to other uh, science fiction writers or other science fiction uh, books and know that people are going to kind of get that inside joke as well. So I don't think it's a, it's a limiting factor, but it certainly is something that should keep you on your toes as a writer. You have to ensure that your readers are at least as smart as you are. Otherwise, you're just going to fall into a trap and you're going to get that. You know, I think it's really interesting, the idea of you know, how savvy people have gotten with um, the tropes of the genre, the cliches, uh, whatever, because then it, to me that suggests that, okay, now we can play with it. But I was, as you were talking, I was thinking about the recent announcement of the new Indiana Jones film and how I was not that in favor of it because I, the last time you know, they, they did one of these, it at the end sort of took the unexpected, I guess maybe to me, uh, movement into science fiction and right. and I was like wait that doesn't belong in this action adventure film um, <laughs> and, although I thought there were other things wrong with it so uh, it, it's interesting that you're you know you're talking about playing with the tropes but there's only so far you can go for for me I felt like it had violated the tropes of the action adventure film to make it a science fiction film although since they're doing another one and uh, Harrison Ford will be 77 I'm is 77 I'm not sure how they're going to make it an action adventure uh, what they're right. going to do with him personally at this stage so maybe it will right. just be fantasy or science fiction but, well, you know, the thing about the, the, the Indiana Jones uh, template was that the template was action-adventure, but it was done with a slightly uh, fantastical element. Um, in the two most successful ones, they were using uh, stuff that related to, you know, Judeo-Christian themes. And then in uh, Tem Temple of Doom, uh, things that were, were uh, based out of uh, India. So to go from stuff that was based in, in mythology or, uh, you know, history, uh, or fantastical history, to something that was science fiction just sort of seemed kind of jarring. And that it does bring them to the question of, you know, what are your audience expectations and how far can you go with them um, before they go, no, 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 you've gone too far. Um, now, personally, I, you know, my feeling about it was, as you said, there was enough going on uh, with um, the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull that was problematic that when we got to that final part uh, and it went science fictional rather than sort of fantasy, people were like, oh, come on, that's the final straw. I was willing to put up with Shia LaBeouf, <laughs> but now you've gone, you've gone too far. Yeah. Um, and so I think that that's, that's part of it. If, if everything up to that point had been more successful... Uh, then people would have gone, okay, whatever, but we had a good, we had a good run anyway. Um, and the other thing is, is that as much as people complain and bitch about it now, uh, it made $300 million when it came out. So, um, you know, hindsight is one of those things that, uh, you know, in retrospect, we were all, we all hated the Star Wars trilogy, and yet there's not a one of them that made less than $250 million when it came out. So, um, 
you know, the question that becomes, you know, who, who is truly to blame? Is it the filmmakers for, you know, uh, making those uh, movies that we felt failed and were mediocre, or is it uh, partly our fault for showing up to them anyway? Right. There's lots of, you know, there's, there's lots of questions. I mean, fundamentally, though, I mean, your question comes back to um, what are the expectations that people have, and are they things that the uh, creators um, have to take under consideration, or how much, you know, can, how much can they play with the format uh, and still have the audience go along. If I, who writes science fiction, and I, like, for example, my Old Man's World series, six books in, future, um, you know, science fiction with aliens and lasers and explosions, if all of a sudden I had a wizard show up and started doing magic and it became a fantasy sort of thing, um, I would have a lot of angry, angry, angry readers because in some sort of sense they would feel that I had completely broken the contract. You know, this was supposed to be science fiction. It was supposed to be rationally based. And now you have magic? That wasn't part of the deal. <laughs> you know, um, so you understand that. But, you know, but part of it is also then just, you know, going, okay, knowing what arena that I'm playing in, where can I still poke holes? Where can I still uh, push boundaries? Because the boundary you push in one book becomes, you know, the frontier for the, for the next one. And you can go that much further. Right. Uh, well, let me uh, shift gears just a little bit because I, I, I want to get you back to your writing and you've got this uh, a very prolific writing schedule, uh, including being especially active on several social media platforms uh, like Twitter, for example. Yeah. What is your time management strategy for social media? How do you get so much done in the writing field and still have time to be you know, active on Twitter uh, active on your blog at whatever. Um, how do you do all these things in one day? Scheduling is actually really important because as much fun as Twitter and Facebook and my blog are, um, they are um, what I tend to term as attractive nuisances because you get on them and you type and typing feels like work. So you feel like you've gotten work done. Um, but when I'm writing a book, uh, what I do is I basically make this world that between 8 a.m. and noon, um, I am not online at all. I'm working on the book. And I have a, kind of a deal with myself, which is I work between 8 a.m. and noon on the book or up to 2,000 words. Now, I'm a former journalist, so I um, have practiced writing quickly and getting uh, you know uh, words down fairly cleanly. So doing 2,000 uh, words a day is not uh, actually that much of a problem for me. I'm very lucky in that regard. Um, so once I hit that 2,000 mark, um, then I have the rest of the day basically to do whatever I want. And sometimes I get to it early, um, and sometimes I get to noon, and I've only written 1,000 words or 1,200 words. But at that point, if I haven't gotten uh, to my quota, I usually stop because what that means is that my brain is you know, uh, chewing over things or something's not working, and I need to go back and fix it, and then I save that for the next day. So either until noon or until 2,000 words. Once you have that schedule done and you write every day, um, then it's just muscle memory. Um, so that's usually what I do. Now, having said that, I'm making it sound like I, I do a much better job of sticking to my schedule than I often do. <laughs> um, and that's my problem. But the schedule does exist, and, and uh, my uh, and my big challenge is making sure I stick to it. 
Okay. And final question. You won the 2016 Governor's Award for Arts in Ohio. Tell me about your reaction to that. And uh, because uh, I guess I'm proceeding from the old um, Kurt Vonnegut saying that science fiction uh, is often um, regarded by, mistaken by our critics for a urinal, the, the genre. <laughs> Certainly, you're not simply known for uh, science fiction. You've written many other kinds of things. But um, I was, uh, I don't want to say surprised. I was uh, pleasantly heartened to see that you had uh, gotten the award. So tell me about that award. Yeah, no, you were surprised. Think how I felt. I mean, I had the thing <laughs> where um, I had some uh, folks who said we would like to, uh, you know, uh, pass your name forward for this. And I was like, all right, that's fine. But I really wasn't expecting anything. I, I mean, for two reasons. One, if you look historically, um, the people who won the governor's awards uh, in the art haven't been uh, writers by and large. And then, of course, um, you know, I am a genre writer. Now, the Kurt Vonnegut quote, I think, is correct, but I don't think it's limited just to science fiction. I mean, I do think that, generally speaking, genre, which is things like science fiction, but also romance and also, you know, YA again, uh, as an example, um, or even mystery, things like that are generally considered to be fairly programmatic, right? Um, that they do one thing, they only do one thing, and because they are in a genre, because every science fiction story tells a science fiction story, every romance story has somebody fallen in love, and so forth, um, that they have to be um, not that difficult as opposed to straight-ahead literature or whatever. Um, and, of course, that's a lot of just snobbery. I mean, science fiction has as wide a breadth of uh, output as uh, any sort of writing. From the straight-ahead standard, you know, aliens, lasers, explosions, so on and so forth, to these incredibly wild and imaginative uh, books where you read them, and there's no doubt that they're art, um, but they're just doing something that is fantastical and possibly futuristic. Um, so there's, and that is the case with any genre, in, in romance, which is, by the way, the largest genre out there, it's 40% of the market, there's an entire range of, of work that, that is there. And to uh, sort of minimize the effort and the facility and talent of the people who write in the various genres is uh, misunderstanding uh, basically what's going on in, you know, in genre today and in literature today. That said, um, I wasn't expecting to be uh, picked. I mean, I assumed that my name would go up and they would go, oh, well, that's a nice try, but, you know, moving on. And uh, so in December, uh, I got this phone call uh, from the nice people at the Ohio Arts Council, and they said, hey, you won. And my response was, this is the best early Christmas present I've ever got, right? Uh, because I... It was entirely unexpected. It was uh, entirely surprising to me, and I was absolutely thrilled. I was thrilled, one, uh, to, in some sense to be representing um, uh, the Dayton area uh, as, as one, of the, one of the folks who won, but also, just in the sense, also to be re representing science fiction. And then the idea that my home state, you know, Ohio, uh, has said, yeah, you know what you're doing is actually art, and we think you're doing a very good job of it here's an award, um, is really uh, sort of heartening. So it was a complete surprise to me. Uh, it really made my day. It actually kind of made my week. 
Uh, and I was thrilled um, to get it, and I will be thrilled to go to the event in uh, in May and uh, receive the actual award. John Scalzi, thank you so much for talking to me today. I really appreciate it. And uh, we are looking forward to you being at the Ohio Anna Book Festival, and people can buy up uh, tons of books and have you sign them until uh, you know you can't move. Um, that's what <laughs> we're looking for, right? And, uh, and and all those great uh, panel discussions that the Ohio Anna Book Festival features. So thank you very much. Thank you. For more information from my guests, visit www.crafttheshow.com. This is Doug Dangler. Until next time, be creative. <laughs>